Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. I'm excited because today we have a topic that recently came up in the Facebook group. And you know, we try to do that, but this is one that's come up pretty frequently over the years. And we haven't done a live on before. So I'm excited to dive in. And this is specifically around, should I put my pricing on my website? And there are pretty strong feelings about this on mm-hmm. both sides. Maybe not as strong as like the you know universal or whole life insurance versus term, but uh, certainly some opinions and a lot of questions like, which one is best? Why is which, you know, why would one be better? So I'm excited to dive in and uh, maybe not get this settled once and for all, but at least hopefully provide some insight. Start the conversation. Yeah, start the conversation and provide some insights for people who are asking themselves this question. Yeah. So where would you like to start? So yeah, I think there's a lot of debate over this. Part of it because of traditionally, this is how financial services in general has done things. Uh, And financial coaching, while a lot of financial coaches want to say that they're very different than the old school financial services model, uh, the reality is there's a lot of stuff that gets passed down to financial coaching um, through just sort of practices and, and expectations. And so this is one of those things that I think has partially been passed down from the old school sales-oriented financial services model. Yeah. I also think that in financial coaches, there is some hesitation around... Well, I can speak for myself because I've gone back and forth on this over the years before settling on what I do now, which is I won't bury the lead, which is having my prices listed on my website, is where it came from a lot for me was if people see the... like. Ultimately, I think it stemmed from an insecurity around my pricing and questioning if people would question my pricing and would they like wanting to shy away. I'm not saying this is all of it, but it certainly was part of it. It was like wanting to shy away in part from or turn people off by my pricing. But then as we'll get into further in the conversation, like there were some definite downsides for me in that, uh, in that approach. And so I think there are definitely pros and cons. Yeah. And one thing that I want to sort of correct, you do this a lot. It's actually something that's admirable about you, which is you're very careful to separate your experience from application to broadly the experience of everyone else. However, sometimes I think you do it too much because this is an example of where, yes, you've had that experience, but we've seen the same type of language and concern being expressed in the comments when people have posted about this on Facebook. You have consulted with and coached other financial coaches as they started their business. I imagine that 
This is not something that has never come up, meaning it has come up with other financial coaches. So I think it is fair to say that financial coaches, not 100%, but it is a pretty consistent and common thing, whether that's 40% of coaches, 60% of coaches, who knows. But it is common enough that we can say that it's, it's likely that financial coaches are experiencing, even if every financial coach doesn't experience that. Good clarification. And I think you framed that well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I think that, that, that your experience is probably more common than not of this fear of, because this fear of, well, if I do X, will it drive away clients? That fear is this incredibly common fear. And it has to do with almost all decisions that we make as business owners. That is one of the things that happens in the back of our minds. Right. If it's I niche down, will it stop me from getting clients? Right. Yeah, well, if, turn I niche down, if I don't talk about investments in financial coaching, will clients not want to come to me? If I don't do X or Y or Z, if I don't have a Yelp page, all these things that people feel like they have to do because these mythical clients, if you don't do this thing, you're going to, they're going to, you're going to drive them away. Or if you do do this thing, you're going to drive them away. And this is a very common irrational concern. And I say it's irrational because if you do all of those things, that doesn't mean that you're going to have clients beating down your door. The idea that, well, if my website is up there, I would have had 50, if my prices are up there, I'm going to drive away all these clients that are not coming to me anyway. Right. And that's why I say they're mythical clients because. Who are you driving away? Because oftentimes early in our coaching businesses, our website sits there and our mom or uncle sees it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not like there's a thousands of people, unique visitors to your website every month early on in your coaching business. Yeah. And people who do have that oftentimes are doing things that are getting the visitors coming there, but nothing happens with those visitors anyway. So all of that to be said, really pay attention to when you're, when you're making decisions based on that fear. Yeah. Because the fear over driving away a customer doesn't actually exist in the real world or a prospect that doesn't actually exist in the real world. That being said, let, let's talk about the big, uh, the, the S word that you said. Should. Uh-oh. <laughs> Should we put prices up there? And it, that's a really loaded question because what perspective or what framing are we answering that should from? And we can look at it from all these different perspectives, but I think it's important to realize that there are different frames that that question is going to come out of, different sort of backdrops that that question is going to come out of. And the answer, it may or may not change depending on which frame you're looking at. Are you looking at it from an ethical frame? Are you looking at it from a driving business frame? Are you looking at it from a fairness to customers frame? Are you looking at it from a uh, wanting to preserve your time frame and protect your time frame? And the answer may change depending on which frame you're looking at it from. From the ethical and the fairness to customers frame, right? The consumerism frame. Which, by the way, when people hear about consumerism, uh, that word does not mean what people think it means. 
consumerism is not about trying to get people to buy as much crap as possible. That's not what consumerism means. Consumerism is a philosophical worldview in which the consumer is the most important part of the economic transaction and all decisions should be made for the benefit of the consumer. You're such an academic. You're like, this is what it actually means. And then there's like, well, here's what the real world has done with that. So I'm glad that that's in your little thing. But if I'm going to use the word consumerism, I want people to know what I, how I'm using it, right? Because otherwise... That we're going to be like, oh, he just wants everyone to buy stuff, right? Correct. I'm just going my my angry fist at yeah. what the world has become. So I'm done with my tirade. Please continue. But it, it but from that consumerism or ethical standpoint, um, I think it's pretty clear that you want to have price transparency, right? That that price transparency is a really good thing in industries where you have very very low price transparency. There's lots of problems with it. A great example of this is looking at hospitals. I was going to say healthcare. Yeah, healthcare. Horrible price transparency. And there is huge issues that come as a result of that. There are issues from the societal perspective. There are issues from the consumer perspective of, well, if I'm having a baby and I have to choose which hospital we're going to be going to, it's not like it's the same price going to hospital A versus hospital B. Um, You even get into the issues of your insurance is covered by the hospital. But not the doctor who actually... The anesthesiologist is not covered, right, by your insurance. And like these things where it gets really, really hard to understand what the cost is going to be. Yeah, I actually dealt with this recently where I was going in to get my COVID symptoms checked and gave my insurance to my primary care physician, who then referred me to a neurologist who was out of network. I just assumed they would be in network because I gave him my insurance and they didn't say otherwise. Luckily, I called them before I started to have multiple procedures and it was just like, wait, what? Why was this not confirmed? Then they told me the cash price was $900 versus the insurance price that was $275. But like I had to call multiple times to try to get this information. And and it's just, it was such a frustrating experience for me. Yeah. And I'll defend your doctor a little bit, which is your doctor probably shouldn't be an expert in reading your insurance documents, considering that they've got 500 patients with 500 different insurance policies. But this lack of transparency causes issues. Yeah. And then you get into the place of, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I went into the emergency room. All they did was put a Band-Aid on me and they charged me $300. And people talk about that's a $300 Band-Aid. No, the $300 was the Band-Aid and the doctor that came in to see you and the cardiac uh, team that was there. Uh, ready to treat anyone that went into cardiac arrest in the emergency room and the nurses that were there that treated, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that one little band-aid that gets put on you. But because of the lack of price transparency, it makes it very easy for us to look at this thing and point and go, oh, well, this is a horrible situation. And that has a branding impact on the medical profession. And the same thing is true for any other profession. When you don't have good price transparency, 
there's already this feeling of feelings of potential bait and switch, feelings of I'm not really sure what I'm paying, so on and so forth. And so then when you say, okay, so we're going to have three meetings, those meetings are going to cost you X number of dollars and people are going, well, wait a minute, why am I paying that much money to talk with you for two hours or whatever the number is, right? Mm -hmm. And it creates this environment where it might be easier to get people in, might be, we haven't gotten there yet, but now we might have a harder time or they might have a harder time in their mind with why are you charging that much because they have this expectation of hidden pricing and hidden pricing sort of creates this environment of distrust, which is problematic both in healthcare and in financial coaching if the clients have an aura of distrust around the relationship. Yeah. Uh, I've experienced that in, uh, in part of what I didn't like when I didn't have my pricing on my website was kind of this, like the big reveal of what the price is. It felt weird for me. Uh, it, I didn't like it when I was on the other end. Um, part of me is like, are they just kind of pulling this price out of their backside? You know, like what, what is this grounded in? Um, so that distrust got just questioning, you know, and we brought this up in other conversations around um, like uh, referral fees or other affiliate fees. Right. Um, and just the, the perception of is like as damaging as uh, or almost as damaging as right. Like it creates a problem, even if people perceive there to be a conflict of interest. Um, it's almost like if they think there is, then there is. Right. Yeah. And and the reality is, well, and the reality is, it's not just perception is reality. It's that conflict of interest do change behavior on a subconscious level. So the perception of conflict of interest does mean that there is conflict of interest mainly because you can't get away from it. Good point. Right? That's how our minds work. So from an ethical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to have the, them on your website. Then we look at it from the protection of your time standpoint. And from the protection of your time standpoint, you have to realize that getting prospect calls is not a good thing. Having people sign up to say, and I always kind of laugh when, when sometimes people will, and you'll see this in both groups like the, the Facebook group, right? The community that we're in right now, but you'll also see this with like, advertisements for we'll book you 15 leads in the next week or all that other BS. And they'll post like, oh, here's all the prospect calls. That doesn't matter. What matters is how many people sign the contracts. Yeah. And yeah, they could send you 20 leads. And a lot of those people that say, hey, we'll send you 20 leads, pay us for the leads, and we'll, we'll get you 20 leads a week. And you'll find that the leads had no idea that you were going to call. They weren't actually interested. They, you know, it, they had gathered these leads in, in all these weird ways. They aren't a part, they aren't part of your niche. They're not part of your niche. They're not actually looking for what you're offering. And so they're just wasting your time. And the same thing is true for people who, I need someone to help me with my budget, so on and so forth. And you charge $700 for your package. I'm not saying that's what you should charge. I'm just... That's the example, right? You charge $700 for your package. Well, there are going to be people that are going to look at that and go, wow, that's totally worth it. 
And there are going to be people that are going to look at it and go, wow, that's way overpriced. Or we, that's, well, that's way underpriced. Yeah, either way. Do you really want to have 20 scheduled phone calls, spending 20 hours of your week sitting down with people who at the end of the day, when you reveal it, are going to look at it and say, oh yeah, then no, that's way too much money. I can't afford that or I would never pay that much. A, it's a waste of time. And I think B, it's also really challenging emotionally and psychologically to continue to have conversations with people who say that your price is too high. And it really gets you questioning the value of what you provide as well. Yeah. And you will actually be less effective in sales. Yeah. Partially because your confidence will be shot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now, a lot of people, now let's get into our third perspective, which is a good transition from what we just talked about, which is, well, but if I put my prices up there, it will drive away customers. And this is the argument that a lot of people make. And you'll see a lot of the arguments of don't put your prices up there because you want to be able to express your value to them, explain the value to them, and then be able to uh, use and then be able to use that to defend the pricing. So there's a couple of problems that I have with that. Okay. Problem number one is that if you need to express your value and explain what the benefit is in order to justify why the price is what it is, why does it have to happen? in a sales conversation that you're spending your time on, why can that not happen on your website? And whatever your reason for that is of why it can't happen on your website and it needs to happen on a sales conversation, that reason is driving away customers. You are losing out on customers because of that excuse that you're giving. Because if you're saying that, when I'm in a sales call, I can really pit, really, really push the idea of all the benefits and how great it is and all the great things that are going to happen if they go through my financial coaching program. But I'm not going to put any of that on my website, right? I want all those benefits to be a surprise. <laughs> then what is the motivation for them to schedule the sales call at that point? Tell me how you really feel, Joshua. Don't hold back, please. <laughs> I love, but it's such a good point. Like why, almost like why would people then call uh, schedule in the first place? You want all of that to be on the website because that's what gets them to schedule that call. If you have a bunch of people come to your website and not scheduling a call, maybe the problem is not that you have pricing on your website. Maybe the problem is that you're saving all the good stuff for the, um, for the sales conversation, yep. right? Uh, I always, yeah, whenever I work with people on interviewing, um, I'll, I'll talk with them and they'll have these amazing stories of all these accomplishments they had in their, in their previous jobs. And I ask, well, why isn't that on your resume? So, well, no, I want to be able to talk about that in the interview. You can do both. You can have it on your resume and talk about it in the interview, right? Yeah. But, but you're not going to get the opportunity for the interview. You're not going to get the opportunity for the sales call. If you don't have all those benefits expressed on your website and your brochure and your other areas, right? So that that's option number one. Option number two 
is that you view your sales call as a manipulative thing. Right. Well, what I'm going to do is manipulate the person into not worrying about the price as much. And it may not be that explicit in your mind. Right? Like I get that manipulate is a strong word. Maybe. I imagine for most coaches, it's not exactly how they see it, but it could ultimately be like how it's perceived or how it happens. But those are the only two options. Right. Right. Just- because it's, it's either you actually do have benefits that you're expressing to them. Yeah. Or you're manipulating them. Those are the only two options. And I'm not saying that if you don't have your your prices on your website, that means you're planning to manipulate, right? No, you may actually be, hey, when I get down to them, I can totally help them to understand the benefits. I can help them to understand how it's going to help their lives, right? That could totally be true. But if that's the case, it should be on your website. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, I, w- where I came from was not wanting people to shut down at hearing the word I'm manipulating people. Uh, no, you may not be. You may totally be <laughs> giving them all the benefits 100%. Yeah. Just, just don't save that for the call, have that stuff incorporated in the website. And then the question becomes well, then what is the call about? Well, the call then becomes about answering deeper questions, helping them to explore things on a, on a deeper level. Uh, being able to have a conversation where they already come in understanding the benefits and you're able to talk with them about making it customized to their experience. Right. Because on your website, you can't make it specific to the individual who's across the internet from you at that point in time. Yeah. And so that's what the sales call is about, is about taking everything that you've already talked about on your website and personalizing it. That's Rashina right now is like, be right back, heading over to my website to change some things. <laughs> but laughing face. I love it. We'll wait. Go ahead and do we'll it. Wait. Uh, we'll be here. <laughs> and so that that's kind of the the last perspective is am I, you know, am I going to be losing clients? And yes, you will have prospect calls that you will lose if you have your pricing on your website but you're not going to lose clients because in all likelihood, those prospects were never going to become clients anyway. And you made a point when this came up in one of our lot, or I think our most recent uh, launch office hours, which was you also don't know how many people aren't giving you a call because your pricing isn't listed on your website. I think we very rarely think of that. Yeah. And the people that go, you know, cause As you said in the live, it's like, you know, when you go to a website or if you're looking for a service or a product, one of the first things tabs that I often look at, I could, again, I'll only speak for myself, Josh, this is what I do, uh, is either the like services tab or the feature tab. Oftentimes first it's the pricing tab, Mm -hmm. right? Like how much is this going to cost? Is it 10 bucks a month? Is it 150 bucks a month? Like where does this fit in with what I kind of already have in mind of what I can do? And if that's not there... Right. Like I'm not going to go and reach out and be like, Hey, so how much does this thing cost? If I have four other tabs open up, you know, so I'm looking at a CRM, I'll open up like five tabs, kind of compare. And if one doesn't have the pricing, like I probably won't take the time to just reach out and be like, Hey, can you let me know what your pricing is? You know? Yeah. And yeah. And so there's a lot of people that just won't reach out because of that. And there's a lot of people who will not reach out because you have a pricing on it and it will be 
but there's there's a num there is a number of people that you'll start the conversation from a feeling of trust because you have your pricing. So even the people who say, you know, I'm going to reach out anyway and talk, they might be interviewing four or five different financial advisors. Yeah. Right. And I cannot tell you, number one, how many times I've had conversations where people have said, yeah, we're actually talking to you because you had your pricing on your website. And, you know, we've been to like eight different websites, eight different advisors, and you're the first one we booked a call with because you're the only one that had pricing. Right. So I have had that multiple times in conversations where clients or prospects have actually volunteered that information. Hmm. And I've had it where prospects have said, yeah, we're talking with a, with a few other people, but we're, we're leaning towards you. And this was at the beginning of the conversation. And it came out later on that the reason why they were leaning toward me was because I was the only one that had the pricing really obvious and easily accessible on my website, <laughs> right? So just the fact that it was there made them feel more trusting toward me, just starting the conversation off that way. And when you can start that sales call off, that initial sales call off with, they trust you more than anyone else they're looking at simply because your pricing is more transparent. Uh, now you're not competing with the other people. You're competing with yourself to make sure you just don't lose the business. Good point. And we also have to realize that a lot of people are afraid, well, my pricing is, is high. Well, if it is high, then maybe you need to readjust that. But you might be worried that your pricing is going to be perceived too high when it's not. Uh, my pricing is not cheap. Right? I will say that now. And I know that there are people that look at my pricing and say, yeah, you know what? That's, that's too much for me, which is great. They're not my target market. They're not the people that I want to attract. And I also know that there are people who come to me because my pricing is that high. I recently hired a company to do programming for a system that would sort of automate a lot of the financial coaching portion of my business. Uh, and I had a bunch of companies bid on it. And the, there was kind of this barbell type thing with regards to the pricing where one group of companies was all within one price and another group of companies was all within another short, small range of pricing. Um, and really, it was most of them were here and a few of them were down here. And the difference between these two was 10 times. It was a 10x factor. Okay, so the lower pricing or the higher pricing was 10 times more than the lower pricing. Based solely on the pricing, I eliminated that entire group of people that were the cheaper ones. Because my perspective was at that price point, they probably have no understanding of what I'm really trying to achieve. And that means that they're probably not going to be able to accomplish what I want to achieve. They're going to give me something that is, gives me one-tenth of what I'm looking to do. And so I literally eliminate people because their price was too low. And there are lots of people who are like that. Yeah. 
I would never recommend someone go to H&R Block to get their taxes done because H&R Block does not have the expertise that my clients need for taxes, even though they're cheap. Yeah, and it's to me, it reminds me of that the other side that we don't necessarily look at, like on the website, we say, well, who didn't sign up because, or who didn't schedule a call because my prices are on my website versus who didn't schedule a call because my prices aren't on my website. It's, you know, we worry about being priced too high, but don't really think of being priced too low. And they, there may very well be, right. What is a, what price is too high for your specific niche Mm-hmm. is in a certain makes a certain amount of money or in a certain economic position where it's like yeah it doesn't make sense to charge ten thousand dollars a month if your clients have a negative net worth and are earning thirty thousand dollars a year there are some specific limits but we oftentimes don't think of that opposite side um so i, I appreciate that point yeah and a lot of this comes down to this fundamental lie that we're told by our economics teacher in high school who doesn't have a degree in economics. And that is, I think ours was the gym teacher. You're right, right. Yeah, exactly. And that is that the way that you get people to buy more of something is to lower the price. That is absolutely not true. There is a ridiculous amount of research that demonstrates that that it is not true. Yeah. John, sorry, you just referenced research. So it's time for yeah, me to drink. drink. Yeah. And it just doesn't play out in the real world. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is people do not buy things based on price. They don't. You all think that you do because you were told that in your civics or government or economics class in high school, but you don't. And it's really important that you understand that, that the idea of price is one component in the calculation that someone makes of whether or not to purchase something. For certain people, it's a more focused on component than for other people, right? Price sensitive versus non-price sensitive people. But even highly price sensitive people, it is still one of the components. And, oh, I want to make sure because Jessica uh, was nice enough to ask a question. Yes, so I yes. just want to make sure that we get to that. Yeah. Um, which her question was, so she has an initial two hour session mm-hmm. that she does. And it sounds like she has that initial two-hour deep dive and then other programs that come after that initial two-hour session. I don't know if she has just a single program after that or whether based on her experience in that two-hour session that there are then different programs that she could offer. But her question was, I'll just ask it verbatim, uh, do I just show the initial two-hour session and my program. So it sounds like two hour and a single program. You know, should I set that up on like the same page, separate pages for each? I've heard that you upsell after the initial deep dive. So I'm not sure if that's something I want to show on my website. Mm-hmm. Right. So she just shows the two hour deep dive pricing, but doesn't really talk much about what happens afterward. Curious as to what your thoughts are. I have my own. But yeah. So you want me to go first then? Let's hear it. And then, uh, yeah, we'll have you lead first with fire and brimstone and I'll, uh, I'll follow up with, with puppies and clouds. Yeah. You know, you know how I do. We got this good cop, bad cop thing going on. It's all good. <laughs> the, so my, my philosophy is, uh, 
for me, I would absolutely put all of the sessions on there, all of the costs on there, everything. And the, the reason why is multifaceted. Uh, number one, having those things on there doesn't stop the person from being able to, from, from just doing the two-hour session and being done. And it actually, it honestly actually allows people a little bit more psychological comfort of saying, okay, I know what the sales pitch at the end of this is going to be. When you, when you don't, when it's just like, Hey, you know, I do, I do all this ongoing stuff. Yeah. We won't talk about that very much. Let's focus on the two hour session. It's not going to be a surprise that there's going to be an upsell at the end of the two hour session, right? Most people are savvy enough to understand that. Yeah, that's probably going to be a conversation. So now the question becomes, what comes at the end of this two hour session? And in the absence of information, people catastrophize. (laughs) It's why we are afraid of the dark, right? And so uh, by putting the other information on there of, hey, there's a two-hour session. This is what you're going to get out of it. This is all the benefits you're going to get out of it. And you are going to be able to take this two-hour session and walk away with a huge benefit to your life. Nothing else needs to be done. However, to get these additional benefits as well, here's what other programs look like. Now the catastrophizing is kind of gets contained, right? In this idea of, all right, yeah, I'm going to get this information in the two hours. Then at the end of it, they're going to ask me to make a decision of stopping or choosing one of the other. Oh, those are my other options. So now it's not that they're going to be excited about the sales pitch at the end, but they're, it's going to be less anxious about it. Secondly, the sales pitch for you is going to be easier because they already know the options going in. You've framed it with, here are the other options and the benefits and the costs of those other options going forward so that that's part of their engagement with you as you're going through that two-hour deep dive session. Now they're not thinking, uh, walking into this thinking, okay, we're going to get two hours and I'm done, right? And then it's sort of like, oh, by the way, you can do this other stuff. They're going into it thinking, okay, so this is two hours. And at the end of this, I'm going to decide whether I want to stop or continue on with one of these other programs. And now they're already thinking from the very beginning, do I want to continue on? Yeah. That increases the likelihood that they're going to say yes, because if they've never thought about continuing on before that, now you're expecting them to make a decision right away. Uh, And the pricing just helps them to be able to contextualize those benefits and the cost as they're going through that two-hour deep dive. Right. If the two-hour deep dive goes great, then it's like, oh, well, I know how much I was able to get out of this two hours. And so they can also, like you said, contextualize continuing on. Well, wow, that kind of value continues. That makes it, I don't know if it's a no-brainer, but it it helps make the decision easier with the context of what working together was already like. Yeah. Um, and it means that to upsell a person in the future, you don't have to constantly be upselling. <laughs> because if there's a place on your website with all of your different packages and your pricing, and someone comes in for a two-hour session and then says, you know, I'm not sure it's right for me right now, sits on it for a couple of weeks. 
now they can go back and go, oh yeah, what were those other packages? Or if they become, in my case, you know, if they are a business owner client, we start off just working on their personal finances, right? Getting that kind of in order. But there are these other services that I have related to the business. I don't have to constantly be pitching them those other services in order to do it because we talked about it at the beginning. It's on my website. So they have the ability to go back and go, oh yeah, what were the other things I could get from them? Oh yeah, we do want a 401k plan. So yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him about that. And so it, it makes long-term upselling easier as well. And you know, for me, I've, I didn't have a long testing period of the two-hour session, mm-hmm. um, just a couple months. But you know, for me, ultimately, it didn't work that well because I found that my particular clients, they know they need help and support. They, they're coming to me. They're like, I've tried a bunch of different things. Right? Like, and I either know that I need a lot of help kind of around the practical area, or I need a lot of help with the relationship to money. And it honestly felt weird, again, for me and my ideal client to be doing this two-hour deep dive that they just, they knew, they almost like knew they needed more. And again, ultimately it stemmed from me thinking that, oh, it might be easier to have this initial, and I know my initial two-hour session is super valuable, right? Mm -hmm. So then if I offer this, it gives them a taste of like what it's like to work together. But I was finding it was like, we were having that session and they were just like, well, I know I'm working. We're going to keep working anyway. It's almost like, what was the point of that? If I just need more and it, and it felt weird for me to have that. So transition back to just like here, I'm, I'm pretty clear on who my ideal client is. You're pretty clear on what you need. Like, let's just be honest about it. Let's jump right in. I'd been doing it for years anyway, before I tried that test out and it just felt better for me. So it can work again. There are a million different ways to do it. And what works best for some person and their ideal client does not work for another person and their ideal client. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who will look at that two hour session as a waste in that scenario because I knew I wanted to, to buy it, right? I knew I wanted the bigger thing. And I think that it's important to also realize that that's one of, another advantage of having the, all the packages up there is it allows a client to look at it and go, okay, that's what the two-hour session is, but oh, wait a second. The full thing is just that. I just rather pay the full thing and just get started. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of people that, that are like that. You know, and people, if any of you are thinking, well, no, no, that's not the case. When you get your insurance for your car insurance, they give you an option of paying monthly or paying every six months. A lot of people do it every six months. I just paid mine annually. I want to get it done. I don't want it to come out a little bit at a time. I've got the money now. Let's just write the check and get it done. And it's not like 90% are paying monthly and 5% are paying, well, every six months, it's much closer to 50-50. In fact, I think the statistics are that it's uh, more people pay in one big chunk, just get it done with. And again, it's, yes, you can deliver a lot of value in two hours. Like when we have, when I sign people up for the four-month practical session, we have an initial two-hour deep dive session as part of that, right? So there's it's not a question of value. It's a question of does 
what your clients need and want also line up with your offerings. And if you do want to have both the two hour and kind of a, a larger package, um, how do you communicate that on your website for like which, which is best for whom? You know, mm-hmm. what pathway, who is it right for to start with the two hour session and then go into the program? Who is it best for to just start with the program? So there does become kind of a question of if you have it all on there, how to communicate like which is best, but that may be a conversation for another day. Yeah, that's actually something that I am working on right now with my, mm-hmm. with my, because I've added a couple of new models and modified my old models of how I charge my clients. And it's created some complexity in how to present it. And so I'm working through how do I present that in my brochures, which that's how I, that's how I deliver my pricing on my website is I have a button that downloads a brochure for the pricing. And that way I can change that brochure file and it updates all the buttons on the website. And so I've already done one big change to the brochure and the layout to the way I present the pricing that makes it clearer, but it's still the problem of a person looks at this and says, okay, now I understand the options but it's still really confusing about which option is right for me. And so that's the next big challenge that I need to tackle with how I present my pricing is how do I create something that allows someone to guide themselves through which one makes kind of the most sense. And partially the reason why I want to do that. And a lot of people say, well, why don't you just do it on a sales call? Because I don't want to. Because if I spend, if I have a 20 minute discovery meeting, and I spend 20 minutes guiding them to, okay, here's the thing that makes the most sense for you. That means I've lost all 20 minutes talking about personalizing the benefits to them and all the things that they're going to have and answering the other questions they have. So if they can at least narrow it down to one or two, now we can have a lot more time to talk about the things that are not pricing, but are the benefits that they're going to get out of it, the personalizing it and helping them to determine that, yes, this is the right decision for them. The time that you spend in a sales call is limited. And every minute that you spend on one thing is time, it's, it's opportunity cost, just like with money, right? Every minute you spend on one thing is time you can't spend on something else. You really want to balance. Um, the more that you can have people understand things prior to the sales call, the more opportunity you have to have a deeper, more personalized sales call that then is high, much more likely to result in the person saying yes. Because you've helped them to see how it's about them, not about this, just this generic idea of coach client. Awesome. Well, we had a long one today, but this is fun. And uh, anyone who watches the replay, any questions that you have that we didn't answer or get to, just ask them in the comments. Make sure to tag Josh or I, just put an at symbol before our names uh, will help us get tagged. And yeah, thanks, Josh. This is fun. Um, I hope this is helpful for people. I know, again, like I've gone back and forth over the years. Um, It's something that a lot of financial coaches are challenged with, but hopefully this provides like some helpful context as to how you might want to approach it if you're kind of flip-flopping back and forth or not completely sure which way you want to go. So we'll be here next week. I think, I know you got finals, but I think we're still good next week. 
good. We're still good. Yeah, I've got finals week is the easy week for me. The week after it is the hard week because that's when I do all the stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.